This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. And welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show as uh, we are... About a month out from the start of spring practice and uh, some shuffling going on here on the Mike Riley staff. And as, as we start the show, uh, Nate Klaus and I will, will give our take on just kind of what's all gone down here. But as you know, on Friday last week, Mike Riley announced um, the dismissal, the firing, whatever you want to call it, of defensive line coach Hank Hughes. And it, it was a very interesting deal how this all played out. You know, we were in high schools all week, uh, Nate and Greg Peterson and myself, and uh, we spoke with one particular Omaha high school coach that actually talked with Hank Hughes um, Thursday night at 9 o'clock about recruiting. And before that, Coach Hughes was at the uh, recruiting dinner. Uh, Hughes then was later uh, dismissed by Riley on Friday. So it, it was very uh, um, unique how it played out. Because sometimes when these things happen, Nate, um, guys know ahead of time, a la Sean Watson and Ted Gilmore, they basically were taken off the road in recruiting um, they didn't go to the recruiting dinner that year. Bo Pelini let them kind of get their ducks in a row for two months, and then they left, uh, quote-unquote, to take another job. Yeah. Um, they weren't fired. Um, but we all know kind of how all that went down with, with those guys. But this Hank Hughes one, um, it was an interesting way Mike Riley went about this. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, people kind of are able to sneak out the back door, like you said, with uh, Sean Watson and guys like that. But uh, the Hank Hughes thing, I mean, kind of – was was kind of an abrupt uh, dismissal. Um, you know, it seems like Coach Riley played things fairly close to the chest. I'm not sure exactly when a decision came down, but like you said, Hank Hughes was still making recruiting calls on Thursday night at nine o'clock. Um, you know, when I look at, at this move, though, I, I think that uh, I think that recruiting definitely played a, a part in in why Coach Riley let uh, Hank Hughes go. I think that uh, you know when. Vincent Valentine, Malik Collins both declare to the NFL, especially Vincent Valentine. You know, when there's a lot more for him to get out there, uh, he could have really improved his stock by coming back another year. But maybe that was a red flag when he left. Um, you know, that Coach Riley took a closer look at too. To do these guys respect Hank Hughes? Do they feel like he's the type of coach that could get them better? Um, you know, and I think when Riley took inventory of everything, he decided he could he could do better at the position. Yeah, and you just that was the most talented spot on the team D tackle and and it just they didn't get the productivity now there were injuries and other factors but yeah you never felt the buy-in from those guys particularly the vocal leaders in that interior group uh, as far as what they were able to give and and you know this will be interesting to see going forward what Mike Riley decides to do I know one name that's emerged is a guy that both you and I are very familiar with in fact we spent uh, a good hour or more with him this summer at Nebraska summer camp when he was watching his son, and that's Angus McClure at UCLA. Now, at one time, was a, a graduate assistant for Bill Callahan uh, for the 04 and 05 seasons. He followed Turner Gill to Buffalo, and he's been at UCLA now for three different coaches. He's survived with Carl Durrell. Uh, he was still kept on staff with Rick Neuheisel and then hired again by Jim Mora. So he's been a survivor at UCLA, but um, has a lot. He has connections here to Nebraska, good friends here, and I think uh, that's what's made this intriguing. Um, as his name has emerged, maybe as the leading candidate right now. 
Absolutely. And when you look at Angus McClure, he, he's basically the polar opposite of, of Hank Hughes. He's a very outgoing guy, excellent recruiter. He's been the, the recruiting coordinator for UCLA for the last eight years, and they've never had a recruiting class finish worse than 20th in the nation, and, and they average right around 10 to 12 uh, in the entire country every year, uh, including a couple of top 10 finishes. So, um, And he's regarded as one of the top recruiters in the state of California has excellent ties not only in the high school ranks but also in the junior college ranks where he's pulled some um, you know true difference makers over the last eight years there um, you know and he's been at Nebraska he knows what Nebraska is all about he has connections here he's maintained a lot of recruiting connections in the state I mean even though he's been out in UCLA he's still come to Nebraska every year and checked in with coaches and, and recruited guys and, and even offered some guys here in the state uh, he's recruited St. Louis before so uh, so recruiting wise, he would be a home run hire. And then, uh, he's also a guy that I think connects well with his players and would command respect, uh, from, from, a you know, his room. And, and I think maybe that's an area where Hank Hughes was also lacking. It's funny, Nate, when you talk about these hires, as we analyze this defensive line coach position, I think the first thing fans talk radio guys, they look at is, can the guy recruit? Yeah. Is he Ed Orgeron? I mean, and by the way, I think Ed Orgeron's name even serves on the board again by fans. <laughs> Ed Orgeron is not coming to Nebraska. No. He's basically the highest paid D-line coach, I think, in the country at LSU right now on that uh, staff uh, with Les Miles. But uh, why is that? Why do you think fans, the first thing they gravitate towards is what is his recruiting background as a coach? Well, they want to see guys, you know, they want to see coaches that are able to bring big time players in and it's exciting. Recruiting is exciting. You know, thinking about all the possibilities uh, that can happen when when your your team is in on a big time recruit or when a big time recruit signs with your team is is fun. So you want to be able to have a coach that that has a chance to to get you you know in with some of those guys. And so I think that's why Ed Orgeron's name comes up all the time. Uh, I don't understand to the level of the fascination there, but uh, but it's definitely exists. Um, but I think that's another reason why fans are excited about the possibility of Angus. McClure he's he is a big time recruiter he's he's proven that he can sign big time players and difference makers and um, you know you want to have those guys in your program we're talking about some of the staff shakeup here on the Husker online show Sean Callahan in Nate Klaus here um, the other thing on the staff uh, and I don't know if this is a big deal or not but uh, Kenny Wilhite now will move into that director of high school relations I'm not sure if that includes the in-state uh, title as well Nate and then Chris Brassfield who held uh, that title before is now moving up to the third floor um, into more a um, executive role or a senior athletic director type role. But, um, you know, I, I felt like we barely got to know Chris Brassfield. I, I don't know if his impact was really ever felt in that position. I know we deal with a lot of high school coaches. They say he was a nice guy in the little meetings they had. Uh, but hopefully I think this could be a move for the good uh, because right now that is one thing missing. And we talk to these coaches. We spend hours with in-state coaches, and they just want to have that guy that they can talk to. And hopefully Kenny Wilhite will be that uh, that line, that direct line that those coaches can have now in Memorial Stadium. I think so. I think that's I think that's really going to happen, and uh, that will now be a position that can reach its full potential. Having Kenny Wilhite there, he understands the importance of of the in-state uh, coaches and and the recruits here. Uh, you know, having been a former player and in, and worked in the recruiting office now for several years, I think he gets it and. Uh, 
the coaches will now have a voice. They'll have a liaison to the program, and that's what they want. They just want to know that there's somebody up there that has their best interests in mind and can communicate with them and let them know what's going on. And uh, and I think Kenny Wilhite will uh, do excellent in that role. All right, before we close out, I want to bring Robin Washett in as well um, because there was something – on the basketball front, uh, that was a big story this week. Uh, anyone that was at the Pinnacle Bank Arena on Saturday saw Siobhan Shields go down. It was a gruesome head injury where he literally flipped over a defender. Um, his mother was on the court. I mean, it was a scary, scary moment. Uh, as we know, Nebraska lost to Wisconsin Wednesday night. Siobhan Shields did not play. Robin, give us the latest on Siobhan, and, and what are the chances that we could see him maybe play against Penn State? Yeah, not only did he not play against Wisconsin, he didn't even make the trip. Uh, he stayed at home, uh, and his mom's you know staying with him at his place, uh, basically just uh, trying to get him you know back to just being able to make it through a normal day. And right now, probably the most frustrating thing about this injury is that there is no set time frame about when he can come back because. With head injuries, you know, unlike a knee or, a, you know, a sprained ankle or something like that, where you, you have, you know, basically kind of a, a standard uh, recovery time, uh, head injuries are a completely different ball game, And it's really just kind of an individual day by day, you know, how are you feeling at this time, at this point uh, type situation. And so, uh, you know, Tim Miles was asked about it after the game. And he had no update. He said, basically, what we're doing now is if Siobhan Shields can make it through a regular day of, you know, getting up, driving to class, sitting through an hour-long class, driving home, sitting on the couch watching TV, and not experiencing any of the headaches, blurred vision, dizziness, you know, whatever symptoms may result from a concussion, then you t after three or four days of that, then you start working into some, you know, light running, some, you know, uh, some shooting, just light basketball work. And if you can make it through that without any setbacks, then you start easing into actual live basketball work. And uh, so right now, I mean, the fact that, you know, he's not even – traveling with the team to sit on the bench for a game you got to think that he's still a ways away from getting to that point where he's able to actually play basketball so uh, right now I'd say that Saturday game against Penn State is doubtful at the very best and uh, you know looking ahead uh, it really kind of just depends on his progress when that return date actually will be well we'll talk more about that later on in our basketball segment with Robin uh, we'll also talk baseball with Dan Hoppen as Nebraska not even picked in the top six by the Big Ten coaches can cause for concern we'll get Dan's take on that and then uh, Nate and I will recap week one of the in-state tour we visited 15 schools over three days on Monday Tuesday and Wednesday so lots to talk about about future talent and we'll close with more recruiting as uh, who is Nebraska's number one quarterback target for 2017? Uh, we may have the answer on that. All that will be on our show as we continue to talk. But we'll talk uh, basketball next with Robin. You're here listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Dan Hoppen now as we – uh, talk some Husker hoops and uh, Nebraska after a really good showing against Rutgers uh, on Saturday as we know though they lost Javon Shields in that game they came back here on Wednesday and kind of one of those games where you know they, they were the underdog but a winnable game this is probably one of the worst Wisconsin teams maybe in the last 15 years uh, Nebraska plays with Wisconsin neck and neck for a while, but the Badgers started to hit shots. They win the game 72-61. to Huskers now 13-12 and overall, 5-7 and in the Big Ten uh, with really kind of a must-win game Saturday against Penn State. Robin, what were your big takeaways from the game Wednesday night? Yeah, you know, I, I think from a record standpoint, Wisconsin certainly has struggled, but, you know, they'd also – 
and come into that game winning five of five straight games. And so, uh, you know, they're playing, you know, their best basketball of the season. And then you got a Nebraska team that is without arguably their best overall player, uh, you know, going on the road. It was kind of a, a difficult situation, which you know, I think Nebraska went in as an eight-point underdog, and that's pretty much how it played out. You know, they kind of surprised Wisconsin early on by uh, opening up in a zone defense and uh, essentially playing it, you know, most of the game. But uh, a zone only works when the other team isn't knocking down 11 three-pointers, and that was the case with Wisconsin. Uh, you know, they they turned a close game at halftime into a, essentially a blowout with you know four straight three-pointers to open the second half and. Uh, Nebraska had, you know, no way to answer it. Uh, it was certainly a frustrating game considering, uh, you know, Nebraska was did play so well against a terrible Rutgers team and then, uh, you know, matches their season low point total and shoots 40% from the field as a team. So it was definitely a step back, but certainly not uh, a total surprise considering the circumstances they faced going in. On the positive side, though, we see another strong game from Glenn Watson. I know he only had one assist, but 16 points. Tim Miles plays him 36 minutes. He's clearly trusting him. I, I don't know. I, the way I looked at it, you know, in that Rutgers game, to me, Glenn Watson might be Nebraska's most talented point guard since Teron Lou. Would you agree with that, Robin? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously they had other productive guys. I mean, Lance Jeter, is he was a as good of a point guard as they've had since Lou, but he's a different player, clearly. Also a Juco transfer. Yeah, Juco transfer. So, yeah, so I, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, Glenn has certainly lived up to the hype. And, that you know, pull-up jumper of his oh, I know. is it's, deadly. You can't stop it, especially when you hit it at that high of a clip. And, uh, you know, that he had to step up and be a scorer, especially with Siobhan out. And that's one thing, you know, with Glenn and all those freshmen, this was a, a good learning experience, I think, just because when you look ahead to next season, you know, they're not going to have Siobhan. And so this was a, a real kind of a growing moment for for these young guys you know having Jack McVay get his first start Michael Jacobson play the minutes he did and you know Glenn Watson having to take over as you know that number two scoring option so that it was certainly you know not the outcome anybody wanted but the fact that you know it, it wasn't a total uh, blowout when Wisconsin shooting at that uh, higher percentage I think kind of speaks to the growth this team has made over the course of the year and Robin that was the most points I believe Nebraska's ever scored in the Kohl Center 61 points yeah and even you know look back since they joined the Big Ten I think it was only the second time they've scored over 55 points against Wisconsin so I mean it's progress <laughs> <laughs> not really sitting here to the Husker Out Light show as uh, we, we talked about Nebraska's loss to Wisconsin and uh, moving ahead now to Penn State, and you mentioned, yeah, they leaned on a lot of guys in this. Jacob Hammond's minutes have gone up, yeah. and he played some quality defense at times um, in that game. And even Fuller um, was on the mm -hmm. floor a ton um, when you when you watch that game. So you're right. I mean, and what, what's the latest on Ed Morrow? I know we talked in the open um, about uh, Siobhan Shields, but Ed Morrow played maybe one of his better games Saturday, and he missed the game here against Wisconsin as well. Yeah, you know, he continues to deal with that foot injury, and uh, you know, it was plantar fasciitis situation that is kind of a deal where he can play as much as he can tolerate the pain and, you know, how much his foot happens to hurt that day. And, uh, you know, if you watch the, the game, the Wisconsin game, that one of the, the color analysts said that he had plantar fasciitis as a player, and he said that it's it could hurt enough to make a grown man cry. Oh. So it's an injury mm -hmm. that, you know, you don't necessarily relate to unless you've had it. And it's it's Ed Morrow's probably one of the toughest dudes you're ever going to meet. And so if he it hurts enough for him not even to be able to see the floor, you know he's dealing with some pain. So, uh, I mean, obviously, like you said, he just played 17 minutes, you know, a few days earlier. So it's just a matter of how he feels on that particular day. 
Now, Sean, I want to bring you in on this one, too. Just something a little more fun, a little more lighthearted. Uh, yesterday, the Big Ten kind of came out with their uh, – the Big Ten Network came out with, like, their all-time – teams for every school nebraska's was dave hoppin who i heard is pretty Who's overrated. that guy he overrated just some big white stiff uh <laughs> eric strickland teron Liu, jerry fort and eric pyakowski just is there anybody else that you would have wanted to put in that starting five and kind of in a separate question maybe who is has been one of your favorite players to watch at Nebraska all time. Maybe not somebody who would be on this list, but somebody that you just enjoyed. Well, I don't know much about Jerry Ford, so that's a harder one for me to... What, <laughs> yeah, what, what I don't year, think any years 70s. Was he? 70s, okay. Yeah. I'm sure he, he's well-deserving, but uh, I was a huge Cookie Belcher guy. I mean, I, I think... I don't know if he does He wouldn't deserve to be on the starting five, but um, I believe he had the record for steals, mm-hmm. um, maybe even in the Big 12 at one time. Um, and Strickland was kind of one of those types of players as well. I really liked him. I liked Badgett, Terrence Badgett, what he did. And Chubbuck. I mean, Bruce Chubbuck, the effort level he played with, um, especially at the end of his career. Um, I mean, he was just such a high-energy um, guy that ran the floor and did a lot of things. Um, you know, they got, and you see a little bit of that in uh, Jacobson. I mean, he, he's yeah. – I don't want to call him a young Bruce Chubbuck, um, but I, I just think, you know, a young guy that runs hard, plays hard, um, that's going to keep getting bigger and stronger. But, yeah, those would be guys that I can remember. Um, what's his name? Kamani Friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Mikey Moore. I mean, Mikey Moore, to me, is very underappreciated when you look at his career at Nebraska. And he had a long NBA career, yeah, too. Yeah, he did. And I'd throw in, you know, Vincent Hamilton. Big 12 player of the year. Big 12 player of the year. I mean, you want to talk about the few and far between dominant centers <laughs> Nebraska's had. He's right up there, so – I'd put him at least in the conversation. Uh, Dan, you've been to a lot. Who, who's missing on that list in your book? Uh, he might not quite make the list. I think Alex March at least deserves honorable mention. And this is a guy who would never make the list, but as teenage Dan Hoppin, <laughs> he would be very mad at me if I didn't list Jason DeRusso. <laughs> oh, yeah, I JD. loved Jason DeRusso. When he <laughs> took down, I think it was against Tennessee, his junior or senior year, he dunked and brought down the entire basketball hoop, and that was like, that was it. He was my favorite player ever. No one could ever touch What about him. Roy Enright, his old high school teammate? Ah, uh, no, he never uh, not guys. quite <laughs> up there, quite as high in my range. Here's a fun fact. Uh, Jay, speaking of Jason DeRusso, both he and Lance Jeter are playing on the same team overseas in Europe, and both were named to the All-Star game. Yeah, All-Star team they both had week. long, successful careers. You know, if it weren't for injuries, Muehlheisen could have had a much better career here. Oh, I think, absolutely, too. yeah. I and mean, he did really well as a freshman. That Shields injury was probably the, you know, topped Muehlheisen's broken hip that he suffered. Uh, what was it, against Kansas? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, as far as, like, you know, scary injuries go, that, that was probably the most recent one prior to Shields that I can remember having that type of, you know, kind of shaky-up type injury. Well, we'll put a wrap here on basketball. Briefly, Robin, um, anything to look for Saturday? It's a 5 p.m., I believe, game. Yeah, 5 p.m. 5 p.m. game against Penn State. Uh, another Saturday game, so expect a big crowd. Um, a lot of people in the rail yard uh, enjoying things before and afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a game they definitely win, um, but what, what anything you're looking for Saturday? Well, it's a must win. I mean, if Nebraska has any hopes of going to 
you know, postseason in general, you have to win this game and you have to defend home court. Uh, you know, and obviously we're going to keep an eye on what happens with Siobhan Shields. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, I think it's doubtful that he plays. And so once again, Nebraska is in a situation where these young guys need to step up and rise to the occasion. You got to get more out of Jack McVay, another big game out of Glenn Watson. Hopefully Ed Morrow can continue to, to see some more minutes. All right, when we come back on the show, we'll shift over to baseball. Darren Nurstad's crew um, a week away now from opening things up. Uh, expectations, though, have not been set high by the Big Ten coaches. We'll get Dan Hoppins' take on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, and if you can believe it, Nebraska baseball is basically a week away from opening the season. And uh, this week, the preseason uh, predictions for the Big Ten came out. Really, there aren't that many official ones out there. This is the quote-unquote one done by the league coaches. And Nebraska not picked in the top six. Then they they kept the list at six teams. And I think it raised a lot of alarm bells. And we bring in Dan Hoppen to get his take on that. And uh, first of all, Dan, what do you think? What was your reaction? Because, I mean, I think everyone's like, oh, by default, Nebraska's going to be like three or four or five. Uh, but not to be in the top six. I think a lot of people were concerned. To be honest, I wasn't really all that surprised. I mean, this is a Nebraska team that finished eighth in the Big Ten last year, and part of that is because they slumped down the stretch, and part of it because the Big Ten was much improved. But, you know, you look at Nebraska, they've got to replace one of their best hitters um, in Tanner Lubach. They've got to replace two weekend starters, by far their two most reliable guys. Uh, they got to replace their closer. I mean, there's... You know, Nebraska is going to be relying heavily on young guys that we haven't really seen a lot of yet. So it's hard to kind of tab them and say, that's a team that's going to finish in the top six. So I wasn't all that surprised, but it is kind of surprising just based off history. Since Nebraska's entered the Big Ten, in 2012, they were picked to finish fourth. And then the next three years, second, 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 and then not ranked at all this year. Yeah, because you, you know Nebraska is recruiting at a pretty high level amongst their Big Ten peers. So it, what it's telling me is these other Big Ten teams have must have they must have raised their game, or they're just developing guys better. Oh, absolutely. There's no question that Big Ten baseball is in a much better place than it was three or four years ago. Just the overall talent level is um, completely higher now. I mean, you look at the teams. Uh, th- that were picked in the preseason poll, Michigan. Michigan baseball was nothing a couple years ago. Maryland and Indiana have both been pretty good. Iowa baseball before last season wasn't very good. Illinois and Michigan State, they were okay, but they weren't you know, teams that you thought would be near the top of the conference. A lot of these other teams have just kind of, quite frankly, they've gotten better at a quicker rate than Nebraska has. I'm thinking ahead already here to May, though, and, and let's hope Nebraska's in that top eight because they have a lot of seats to fill um, in, the, <laughs> in Omaha, in Omaha yeah, for, for the, the Big, uh, Big Ten, Ten Baseball. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal, though. I mean, you, you don't want Omaha to be an empty stadium for this Big Ten tournament. If, I mean, that's that's got to be a goal for Nebraska to make sure they get in this thing if, if, if that's where they're picked right now. Yeah, and uh, Darren Ursad was asked about that at um, – at his season opening press conference the other day, and he said all the right things. He said, hey, we're not you know, focused on that right now. We can't afford to look that far ahead. But I'm sure not only those in Nebraska, but those in the Big Ten offices, I mean, they're not playing favorites or anything like that, but they understand the importance of getting Nebraska to that Big Ten tournament because if they don't, ticket sales are going to be 
incredibly lower. Well, it's an expensive bill to, yes. to rent out that facility and hire the staff and everything else. We're talking preseason baseball expectations about a week here before the Huskers open things up. And, Dan, one other thing I would say when I look at the schedule, you can tell they knew that this is a team that was younger. They, they really scheduled a little lighter um, in the non-conference than maybe we've seen them on these first three weekends of the year. I mean, we've seen Nebraska – that one year play Fullerton and Irvine and um, you know some big name brand programs like Texas for for series on the road at home. Um, but what what was your uh, take just looking at the schedule and maybe how they put this thing together? Yeah, I mean, you, it's still not an easy schedule. I think that they're you know when when people look and see College of Charleston or Loyola Marymount. You know, they're not thinking, oh, man, those are real power schools. You know, those are decent baseball schools, though. It's not a scrub schedule. But, yeah, that like you mentioned, there's Nebraska over the last couple of years has played Cal State Fullerton or LSU or, you know, some of the – Texas, some of these bigger name schools, and there aren't a whole lot of those um, on the schedule. And I think, you know, I, I don't know how much it went into it, but, I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Darren Erstad tried to scale this schedule back a little bit just because this is a young team. He understands that. He's going to be asking a lot out of guys who have never contributed at this level before. So, you know, he's just trying to ease them into it a little bit. And their opening weekend, as you mentioned, they play three games um, at the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and then the, the next weekend is a, the Tony Gwynn Classic in San Diego. They open a San Diego. They'll play either Arizona or Tulane, two very good baseball traditional programs. Um, and then they'd have a chance to play Kentucky, California, Santa Barbara, Bryant, or San Diego State, and that's three games. And then Long Beach State. I mean, they've been to Omaha before. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Notorious Dirtbags, that was their, their nickname when they had the really good team in Omaha. But, I mean, yeah, it, it's not – I mean, it doesn't have the brand name of Fullerton or Texas, but you're right. They are quality, quality baseball teams. Um, I'm intrigued even that Wichita State's on there for a three-game series. That was one for years. You always said, why does Nebraska not ever play Wichita State in a series? Well, now they will play a full – three-game series here in Lincoln, uh, March 18th through 20th. So they, they've done some different things schedule-wise than, than maybe what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, that, I mean, I, I don't really know what else to add. You did a pretty good job summing it up right there. I do like that Wichita series. That's, you know, they played, I think, a, a home-and-home home a couple of years ago that was um, – that was kind of fun. It's all, you know, it's always nice to mix it up with them. And they, they continue to play Creighton uh, three times. Yes. Um, and two of those are in, in uh, Omaha, correct? Um, off the top. Yep. Yep. And, two and in Omaha. So they, I think one of those games is Nebraska's home game where they get the money, right? They rotate that every year. And then mm-hmm. obviously Creighton um, gets um, one as well. I'm not sure if this is Nebraska's year or not. They'll continue to play Kansas State. Um, it's good to see them play Omaha, too. I know. You know, some people are like, well, you know, you don't want to risk losing to UNO in a game, but uh, they will play Omaha at Warner Park. That's always a good game. Play K State in Kauffman Stadium. Or is it That's K- gonna... KU or K State? Uh, no, it's Kansas. You're K- right. Yeah, K. Yeah, that and that will be. It's a Wednesday, right? Uh huh. That's gonna be a lot of fun. April 27th. So still over two months away, but that'll be a fun game. Yeah, you, you might see a good number of Husker fans just venture down there um, and, and check that one out. But uh, I'm excited. Baseball season's around the corner. Um, and we'll definitely talk more about that. Every week we'll have a baseball segment with Dan, and we just wanted to give you a little taste on where the bar is set as uh, we get ready uh, to, to kick off the season here for Darren Erstad at Nebraska. When we come back, we'll shift back over to recruiting. Nate Klaus and I will break down week one of the in-state tour. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're back here on the Husker Online show, and we'll shift back over to recruiting here in our final two segments, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as we bring Nate back into the show. Um, you know, and this is, for me, one of my favorite times of the year for us. And I, it's 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 like clockwork, Nate. Every time around this time, we're like, well, it must be nice. Things slow down quite a bit for you. And and I, I'd say, actually, they don't. And I get this look like, what do you mean? Like, well, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we went into 15 high schools. Uh, we leave our houses at about 5.30 in the morning um, to go into Omaha so we can uh, get into a school before first bell rings and uh, get interviews. But we call it the in-state tour. We've been doing it now, I believe, 13 years on the site. It's something that I started way back when um, with the idea of, you know, my superiors at Rivals to get around the schools and, and, and find the talent. But I mean, we've kind of taken it to another level um, compared to what you get at other rival sites. We typically hit uh, about 30 schools in three weeks, um, and we hit 15 in week one. So we're off to a pretty good start. But um, for us, Nate, it's an opportunity to get a feel for the talent. And obviously we know a lot of names, but you typically find a lot that you don't know about, and that's why we do it. Yeah, you always find a, a guy or two, you know, seemingly every day that, that you, you haven't heard of or, or a player that, that just transferred from one school to, to the other and, um, you know, that you need to keep an eye on going into the next season. It's, it's always a, a great time of the year. Um, you get a, a good idea of how guys are progressing, um, you know, in, in whatever offseason program or winter sport that they're doing. And, and you get, a, a, you know, an opportunity to see guys up close that are coming up through the program. So it's always a great time of the year to, to see these guys get out on the road, see the coaches and um, put a face to the name, um, you know, with whatever film you've already seen and, and discover new players. Well, and the challenge, too, because not every guy is going to be all-state or all-conference. A lot of that might be based on your team's success. So there are a lot of really good players slash prospects that don't get honored at all, but they could still – like Noah fan. I mean, he wasn't honored or recognized at all until really his senior year. Um, you know, and that's a guy we've been on since he was at Burke. Um, you know, we've been able to follow him then. But, you know, like go back to last year, David Engelhop at Norfolk Catholic – a total unknown commodity. We go up there and see this guy, and we're like, "What are we missing? That <laughs> like, what what are we seeing here that someone else is not seeing?" And, and obviously, he ends up at Nebraska. Ben Stilley. We go see that kid last year, and and he was relatively unknown. So I think it's good to to just get out there and, and eyeball these guys because you you find and learn so much uh, about the talent in the state. Well, the bottom line is that. High school football players are really, you know, any high school uh, athlete in the state of Nebraska probably doesn't get the quite the exposure that they deserve or quite the exposure that they would get if they were playing high school sports in, in a larger state, you know, or, you know, out in California or Florida or whatever the case may be. So it's nice to, to be able to, to give these kids the exposure they deserve and, and try to get their names out there so that uh, they can gain additional looks on the recruiting trail and uh, or coaches are, you know, kind of have a, a conduit, I guess, through us to, to try and um, learn a little bit more about these players. I, I think think it's it's beneficial for everybody and we traveled a lot around Omaha and in some surrounding areas of Lincoln this week and you know some of the big names we saw Miller North Jack Bagley is definitely a division one prospect a six foot three linebacker uh, at Bellevue West Tyler Charade offensive lineman then Jalen Bradley uh, the very talented running back there that 
uh, was the best running back in Class A as a junior. Um, those definitely were names that jumped out. Omaha North, though, had some uh, you know very intriguing prospects. Omaha Central has some intriguing names to uh, keep tabs on. Uh, Brett Cottrell at Ashland Greenwood is an offensive lineman that, if not for a knee injury, he may have had a Husker offer by now. I mean, he's somebody I think that is very impressive. And um, there's a lot of good offensive line talent, Nate, in the state. When you look at uh, Cottrell, Sheree, and I'm missing somebody else in there. Well, Kevin Williams from from Omaha North just transferred from Omaha West Side to to North. Pat uh, Arnold, yeah, Patrick Arnold at Gretna. I mean, there's some there's some bigger bodies, you know, not not your offensive tackle, you know, players, you know, your six 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 seven type of guys that that maybe uh, you know Nebraska would really like to see growing on trees uh, in the in their backyard, but some really intriguing uh, talent along the offensive line, nonetheless. Less. And and a lot of these guys play both ways. Our, our O line, D line. You know, Brett Cottrell is also a really good D tackle. Patrick Arnold also a, a really good defensive tackle. So um, you know, it, it's you're, you're seeing some bigger bodies and some big body athletes uh, out there uh, along these line positions. And you look at that group: Cottrell, Arnold, and Sheree. And you wonder, like, I mean, I think one of those guys gets a Nebraska offer for sure. Um, I don't know if Nebraska can go as far as two. I mean, it's it's too hard to say what their needs are and what they're looking for. Uh, but all three of those guys, to me, have the look of guys that could be Husker guys someday. Yeah, they're all. There's no doubt they're all Division One talents. Um, you know where exactly they'll they'll gain offers from kind of remains to be seen. I like you said, I, Nebraska will most likely offer one out of those three. the The problem is they've recruited fairly well in the interior offensive line over the past few years have a really you know big need at offensive tackle and these guys probably aren't those types of players so that probably puts them at a little bit of a disadvantage but there's no question uh, these are talented uh, interior line prospects we're talking in-state tour here uh, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus and you know another um, intriguing prospect that we saw on Wednesday was Wahoo Bishop Newman quarterback Noah Vedrill um, he's also one of the top basketball players in Class C. Um, he's got a chance to win the 100 uh, hurdles and 300 hurdles this year, and as well as the 4x4 relay team. Uh, just a dynamite three-sport athlete. We know the bloodlines. His dad, Mike Vedrill, played for Nebraska. He's the nephew of John and Mark Vedrill as well. And then his, he's the nephew of Matt Terman. Um, his mother is Matt Terman's sister, former Husker quarterback that started the Kansas State game in 1994. Um, so it's a, it's a very uh, impressive um, you know, he's a very impressive in-state quarterback prospect. I think as polished and athletic as I've seen here, maybe in the time I've been doing this. Yeah, he's. I mean, the gene pool alone uh, doesn't get much better than than uh, Noah Vedrills. And then you look at his body of work that he's put together already in all three sports, and, and he's very, very impressive. And then you're able to sit down and talk with a kid, and wow, he's a mature kid. He, you know, he gets it. He's uh, you can tell he's grown up in a football family and has been around it his whole life. And, um, and he know, seems like he enjoys it. That's the other important thing. He loves football. He loves competing. And, you know, and that's not a surprise, you know, given his given his background. So, uh, you know, what's really interesting is is that he is a player that can throw the football. He's worked extremely hard on his footwork, on his arm, his accuracy. But he he kind of runs more of, a, you know, more of your option offense there at Bishop Newman is and is labeled as a dual 
triple threat guy. And that's one thing he really talked with us about is, you know, not kind of wanting to shed that, that uh, dual threat uh, tag and being known as a guy who can pass the football and, and throw the football. And, and I think that, uh, you know, he's definitely going to garner some attention in, in some of those more and more of a pro style offense, because he does have the athleticism to go along with the arm and, and can extend plays. So he's a really intriguing player. And Nate, all of these prospects uh, that we've talked about more than likely will be invited to the Kansas city rivals camp series event that's on may 15th a sunday at rockers high school and it's great for the area typically we don't get events this close so the high caliber nike or under armor events usually you have to go to dallas columbus st louis or chicago well now we've got an event for the area um, that will be great for some of these guys we mentioned and uh, i'm excited uh to, to see you know we, we haven't even talked about cam jurgens at beatrice nebraska tight end commit or or moses bryan and we really won't have too much time to delve into it but the kansas city rivals event i think will be um, awesome for the kids in this area well it's just like the in-state tour this is another opportunity for guys to to gain the exposure they deserve and and really all, all the all the players in the midwest probably don't don't get recognized as much as they should and, and this is an opportunity for them to go down there gain exposure and compete against the best of the the best in the area and uh and there's talent here and you know you had you heard mike riley talk about it in, in his press conference after signing day about the 500 mile radius and i know that's something that gets beaten to death but uh it is important it is real and this is an opportunity for for a lot of these guys within that area uh to to gain recognition i'm about to make like 500 mile radius t-shirts <laughs> and short I'm, I'm gonna brand this yeah. thing because i trademark feel, that i mean it's just getting that like it's like almost hammered to death here. Like people, it's like a language code you have to know, and everyone knows what this 500 mile radius is at signing day and whatnot. But uh, we'll talk more recruiting, uh, specifically quarterback, and what direction Nebraska is leaning. There are definitely three names that emerged uh, that Nebraska has offered for 2017. One of them will be coming into the spring game. Uh, we'll get Nate's take on that next here. Listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. As we put a wrap with more recruiting talk, we've already talked in-state in the show. We talked about the defensive line coach opening and the importance of that will play in recruiting. But uh, we're going to stick on that 2017 uh, recruiting topic now and as we look ahead. And, Nate, the first thing you do when you build a recruiting class is you get a quarterback. Um, and typically the dominoes fall on that by Memorial Day. You don't see the quarterback recruiting, um, at least for the top 25, 30 programs in the country, get much past June 1. Yeah. And for Nebraska right now, they're in that, that boat right now as they've established and identified what you would label as three kind of key main targets early. A lot of those guys are off the board before the spring recruiting period even begins. Um, and you, you mentioned it, the top three guys that Nebraska's really seemed to focus in on um, are Tristan Jebbia out of Calabasas, California, which is a guy that we've talked about an awful lot, has been to Nebraska uh, several times already, planning to come back that first weekend in, in March, and uh, just recently announced a top five of, of uh, Ole Miss, Nebraska, Washington, Washington State, and West Virginia. So when you look at the competition that Nebraska is going against there, you have to you have to kind of like uh, you know 
those, you know, their chances against those teams. I think Ole Miss is kind of maybe a dark horse because his dad, Rich Jebbia, um, played at Ole Miss, is, is considered uh, to be an Ole Miss legend, had, had a couple of really big uh, catches in a couple of their games against Mississippi State, so which will, will really carry a lot well, of weight. The recruiting violations there, though, I think that's going to play an impact. I don't know what's going to come out of what's going on there, but uh, I know I was listening to uh, Paul Feinbaum's show this week, and that's something that I know a lot of people are concerned about is what could that do to their recruiting. Yeah, and that will definitely play uh, a role in a lot of kids' recruitments, I I think because this is something that I think is maybe just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think maybe once the more once the NCAA delves uh, deeper into this whole deal, there could be even more there. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch here. But um, you know, and then you've got Jack Cohn out of out of New York, uh, which is typically not an area that produces a lot of top flight talent or an area that Nebraska goes to 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 get kids, but. Uh, the Huskers really love this kid. He's 6'4", 190-pound, uh, strong-arm kid, a very athletic player as well. So, And he'll be coming up for the spring game uh, in April 16th uh, for a visit. And he's developed a, a strong relationship with uh, Danny Langsdorf and, and really sees himself as a player who could fit well into Nebraska's system. We'll be taking a number of other visits before that Nebraska trip. Um, you know, and it's interesting the timing how how he's visiting all these schools before Nebraska, and Nebraska is going to be that last trip. And um, I, I think a lot of times that may signify that maybe Nebraska is his leader, wants to see every other school and, and visit Nebraska last to uh, to you know be able to to weigh all of his options before making an early decision because that's something that he definitely wants to do. I've been able to talk with his high school coach and he wants to he wants to make a decision, you know, before the summer comes a roll around at the very latest because he knows that his options are going to be limited as more and more guys kind of fall off the board. And then you have uh, Dylan McCaffrey out of Colorado. Uh, the I just think that's a long shot though. When you I mean I know he's interested, but the last name Stanford. I mean, mom played soccer there. We we know the background there. Yeah, you have to look at Stanford. But the the thing is, Stanford hasn't offered yet. He does not have an offer to Stanford. So, uh, for the time being, you know, he's he's keeping his options open. And uh, you know, you talk to Husker signee JoJo Doman, who is very close with Dylan McCaffrey, and JoJo Doman seems to think that Nebraska has a, has a pretty good shot, at least at this point in time. And and Dylan McCaffrey is expected to take an unofficial visit to Nebraska at some point this spring. So. Uh, those are the top three names, though, that the, the staff has really focused in on. And uh, and I think that you have to like their chances, especially with between Jebbia and Cone. Those are those are the top two guys. And, and I wouldn't rank them one through three. I'd really rank them one A, one B, one C, because I, I believe the staff would take a commitment from any one of these guys at any point in time. Um, you know, and. and Based on how things go from there, you could also see Nebraska look to add a second quarterback in this class uh, later on down the road. And here's what we know about Jack Cohn as we talk recruiting storylines. He's got a very good family friend that lives here in Lincoln um, that's extremely close to his parents. And um, that's kind of an X factor that most people didn't know until about a week or two ago, if anybody even knew that. Uh, But they're coming for the spring game. And I I just think – that sets up really nice. And Jebbia Nate, will he be? Do you know his return visit when he's coming? He's co- going to be coming in the the weekend of March fifth. And the interesting thing with Jebbia is that he has an uncle that lives in Omaha. His dad owns uh, a handful of companies, and one of the the 
headquarters for one of those companies is based out of Omaha. So, I mean, there's there's some relatively good connections with both of the, you know, two of their top quarterbacks, which is uh, really another interesting twist to the whole the whole recruitment and everything. And and you have to ha- you have to capitalize on on those types of connections uh, when you're Nebraska and recruiting big time players. Just, that are- there's just a much better handle on the quarterback recruiting than what we've been used to from the Polini regime. And I think a lot of that had to do with having those freshman starters and Martinez and Armstrong. It affected what they could get at that quarterback position uh, because they when we have a freshman starter, it kind of scares away everybody. Yeah, you're right. It does scare everyone away. They, they're looking at the roster, and I, I think that, uh, for one, this is a much more appealing system to, to run uh, and to play in. You have two quarterback coaches or two two coaches that are proven to, to be able to develop quarterback talent, which is appealing. Um, you know, and, and I think that these are guys who think they can come into the program and make an impact early on because – uh, you know, the current starter is a guy who wasn't recruited to run the system. As we're talking recruiting storylines here with Nate Klaus, quarterback is the key, and that, that's what starts your class. And um, I think there was this perception, Nate, that Jebbia, because of the Calabasas connection to Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Darnay Holmes, Markel to Smuke, uh, Keyshawn Sr., that he was the the far and away number one. And, um, you know, that that's what's interesting uh, you know, say if they took Jack Cohn and he got the spot over Jebbia, um, you know, how would they play this? I mean, would that have an effect on on the Calabasas crew? I know that's on the Red Sea Scrolls. That's a concern when you talk to fans and and and, and get their reactions. Well, there's no question they would have an impact on Jebbia. I still believe Nebraska would continue to recruit him. They're obviously going to continue to recruit Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Darnay Holmes, and those guys. Um, you know, out of those three Calabasas kids in the 2017 class, so if you were to ask me, you know, which two are more likely to play together on the next level, I would say Keyshawn Jr. and Darnay Holmes. Those two guys are more likely to, to play together, um, you know, and commit to the same school. Uh, but Tristan Jebbia, you know, I, I get the feeling since he's making a visit before the spring game that that maybe and he knows that Nebraska is interested in Jack Cohn. He knows that Jack Cohn is going to be visiting for for that spring game. It could kind of push his decision timeline up a, a, a few weeks or a, by a month uh, to make a decision and take that that top spot in this class uh, before a guy like Jack Cohn could though. And when you get that four star quarterback in your class early, what does that do maybe for the rest of the class? It just kind of sets the table and. Re- really, really puts the puzzle together. No question. The quarterback becomes the face of the class, and, and it does. It sets the table for for how everything else is going to play out from there. You, when you have a big-time quarterback who is the face of your class that can go out and start recruiting other guys to, to join them, and that's absolutely huge. That's what every coach in the country wants. They, they want to lock down their quarterback, and they want that quarterback to turn into their most dynamic uh, recruiter. And, and these are all guys that, that other players across the country know. So, um, you know, that's that's extremely important. And I, and I honestly do think that we're going to see Nebraska get one of their top guys, um, you know, maybe, most likely before the summer comes around, maybe a lot earlier than that. Well, that puts a wrap here on today's show. If you like what you heard or listened to, make sure you check out HuskerOnline.com as you will find the most in-depth coverage of anything related to Nebraska as far as recruiting, the inside scoop on this defensive line position coach, uh, the in-state tour, as we talked about, is in full swing as we're making the rounds. So make sure you check us out, HuskerOnline.com. But until next week, uh, this wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 